Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Stuff Your Ears. We are a podcast of Bismarck Community Church, and here we will give you conversations, discussions, as well as sermons and thoughts and ruminations that all are aimed at helping us to live, or at the very least, to understand what it means to live as a faithful Christian in a world that's often not quite what we wish it were. Glad you tuned in. I hope you enjoy. And as always, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. So the things that happen, they're listed. It's very clear. Awe came upon every soul. Awe, that's the Greek word phobos. Uh, it's where we get our word phobia. If you're arachnophobic or 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 claustrophobic, you're afraid, you're fear, that's what that word is. Some of us are waspophobic. I don't know if there's a word for that, but, but that's, that's almost over because it's going to snow soon. The wasps will go away. But that, that's the word for fear, but it is, um, it's because, and it says here, of the wonders and signs, these miraculous things are happening that can't really be explained. These things that point to a powerful, mighty God. And we'll read about some of these things, right? Um, people getting healed, vision coming back to people, people rising from the dead. I mean, all these things is what it says here. Um, one um, commentator I read says this about this. It is being unable to explain the divine that leaves you with a sense of awe. Is being unable, you see these things, these wonders and signs happening that are said here, and you go, whoa, I don't get it. Like, what in the, like, it, that's what leaves you with a sense of awe. And I think, you know, there's a lot of talk if you read different things and follow stuff like some of us nerds do. There, there's discussion about these types of miraculous wonders and signs that happen Sometimes in other cultures, and maybe we don't see so much of these kinds of things in our own culture. And I, okay, I'll give you an example. In the 90s, I worked with a, a ministry called the Jesus Film, and I was part of a team of people that used to travel into some very, very remote places. And I knew these guys, two guys personally, who, you know, were stable, normal you know, hardworking, they, they got up every morning, went to, went to the, you know, they, they weren't heavy drinkers or drug users, and, and they told me a story of their own, they saw, they were carrying their film equipment and stuff into like some very remote places, I think they were in South America, and, and they encountered an indigenous tribe that was a little, well, very suspicious of outsiders bringing strange equipment and weird looking clothes and all that, and so they did what any group of people would do when they're scared. They, they fought. They fired their bows and arrows at these people who I knew. And these people who I knew told me that their arrows turned into flowers and fell down around them. Now, I know these people, and I hear that story, and I'll be honest. I'm like, really? Like, I struggle to, be, to, to believe it. I want to find an explanation for it. I want to I be able to justify why this is happening. I, w- I want to put it in a box. I want to explain it, and I struggle to believe it. And maybe that's why 
in our particular cultural context, we actually don't see a whole lot of this stuff. Because it's not going to leave us with a whole lot of sense of awe. It's going to make us go, really? I don't know. Let me explain. Let me justify. Let me, let me look up the science behind that. Because, because we want answers for everything. We want to put everything in a box and we want to explain it. But I was actually thinking about this and I thought, maybe in our context, in our particular American Western world, North Dakota, some of the things that might leave people going, whoa, awe, right? What might create awe? What if it's a group of people who are vulnerable with each other? What if it's a group of people that that care more about loving the other, you, than protecting your view of me? What if I'm just going to tell you my struggles because I don't care about protecting my own image? What, what if we did that? What about, what about things like planning a potluck on Super Bowl Sunday? Don't worry. I, we're not there yet, right? But in, in our particular context, in our particular culture, Saying, oh, we don't watch the Super Bowl as a church. We gather and we just eat and hang out. That would make people around go, what? Awe, right? Selflessness and love for one another and vulnerability and honesty, right? Like I've said, I don't know how many times I've heard the phrase, oh, but I don't want to be a bother. But we're called to carry one another's burdens. We're called to that. Oh, oh please, please don't tell anyone what I'm struggling with, right? Because we want to protect our image. What if we just said it? This is what I'm struggling with. This is where my burdens are. This is I'm broken. I'm a mess. That would leave our particular culture in awe. Those are the kinds of things that I think would change the world around us. And I don't think we're there yet. I know we're not there yet because I can promise you this. If I were to plan a potluck here on Super Bowl Sunday and turn the TVs off, nobody would come. Right? We're not there. And that's okay. That's okay. Can you dream with me? Can we dream together for a few minutes about what could be if we were to maybe live devoted to the things that the early church was devoted to? What are we devoted to? So think about that. What, what are we really devoted to? The early church, um, another thing that, that's interesting about what happens to them and among them is they had all things in common. It says, verses 44 through 5, all who believed were together, had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, for those of us who are old enough to have survived the Cold War, This sounds like communism. We hear that and we think communism. Now, let me, if you didn't know this, you should. This happened and was written down centuries before Karl Marx was born, before Lenin. This this is way before that. There is a great danger, and this this illustrates it, 
in reading the Bible with our current cultural lenses on, right? We can't, we can't read something 2,000 years old and say, oh, you're following Karl Marx. That's, do you see how silly that sounds? That's not the world they lived in. They didn't have capitalism either. Not really. Not the way we have it. There's actually, um, it helps. In fact, it, I think it's essential to understand somewhat the economy that they lived in. And there's a lot written on this. Um, we call it now, I don't think they quite called it then, the Roman patronage system. Right? You know, I heard of a patron. Um, what it is. Now, the way it worked is people who had the means, the money, the position, the status, the right name, were not only expected, but kind of required to have people that were called clients under them, under them, who they, they would help with favors or loans or, you know, help them get another job. If they need, you know, whatever they needed, they were, they were there to help the clients, and the clients, in turn, owed favors to the patron. And this was an intentionally designed system. The whole culture of Rome worked that way. People were clients. You could even be both. You know, if you were, you know, upper middle class, you might have a rich patron, and you might have a few clients under you. You know, that was the way it worked. And everybody did what they did for favors. The patron had to do it. To get the favors, you're running for office, or you're going to war, or you're, you need people to do things for you, right? And you've got clients that you've supported, and you go, dude, it's time to pay up now, right? Everything in their economic system, and it depended on this structure, was founded on self-interest. These people weren't just beneficial patrons. Oh, let me give you something. That's not the way it worked. It was designed so that they give it and then they get repaid later. It was all about their own particular self-interest. The people, all the people in Rome, used whatever position or power or wealth or name or whatever they had, they used it for their own benefit. The early church turns that whole value system on its head. And they use whatever position, whatever power, whatever name, whatever wealth they have for the good, not of themselves, but of others. And it radically changes everything when they do that. When we look at our bank account or our rapidly dwindling 401k or your house, or your car, or your library, whatever you have, do you think first about yourself and your family? Or do you think first about others? <laughs> when you, we, we talk about giving, giving is inactive worship, and it is something I believe that we are called to do and something we do out of a grateful heart. As we think about giving, how many of us, and I don't need a show of hands, how many of us think... What can I spare this month? Because that question at, at its heart is a self-centered question. Maybe another question might be, what is needed? See the difference? One is about me and the other is about outside. And that, I know that's difficult. And I, hey, I, 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 things are tight for me. 
And I, I, I mean, I stand here listening to this. I'm not here to judge or condemn anybody, believe me, because I've lost the same 20% most of us have just the last year, right? If you've got anything invested, you know what I'm talking about. The question is, what are we devoted to? Another thing that happens, um, verses 46 and the first half of 47 Day by day, attending temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor of all the people. They they were free. They were grateful. They were generous. They were were free from, from all the stressors of life. They were receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. That's all they needed, right? You know, a few years ago, Marie Thompson gave me a little notebook, and she said I should write down everything that I was grateful for in that little notebook. Of course, the first thing I wrote in the notebook was Marie, right? It's true. But uh, there's something, that's a practice that a lot of people do, is focusing not on what I need, not on not on the 20% red, right, in your portfolio, but, but on what we have. Being thankful, being grateful, and that, that begins to set us free. When we look at others and we look at our, the things that we have to be grateful for, then, then our hearts can become glad and generous. It was also, by the way, this note says they had favor with all the people. I was talking to somebody this week about, they brought up the possibility, the, the case, and I, and I see it, and I'm, I'm not going to necessarily, I'm not arguing or making a case for it, but the, the idea that that right now in our particular culture, the most persecuted group is Christians. Now, I think when you scroll that out to the world, I think that's a, if we're honest, it's kind of a silly case to make because there, we got brothers and sisters that are being murdered today for singing the songs we sang earlier, right? That's, that's the case, and no one is threatening to take our lives from us on a global scale. That doesn't even make sense. But in our particular cultural moment, I can see the case being made that Christians are, are one of the most persecuted groups or uh, mistrusted groups in our particular culture. And I get it. And I think, and, and this is what I said I said, well, I think that's not so much about religion as it is about power. Our particular um, culture in the context we live in, there is a high value on lifting up the vulnerable, making things fair and equitable and free, and people that have been persecuted or minimized or minorities, and you know, whatever the case may be, that is a value. And historically, and I mean by historically, I mean, oh, you know, for the past thousand years or so, Christians, and in particular European-looking Christians, have used power for their own benefit, to protect themselves, to enrich themselves, to make themselves more comfortable. And, you know, what if the, the church was, looked like white Christians acknowledging, I don't, I don't know the answers to this, but acknowledging there's a history of racism and, 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 and prejudice in this country that maybe has led to, you know, some inequity. What if, what if the church were to do that? What if the church looked like people 
protecting and defending the abused instead of powerful perpetrators like she's been known to do. What if the church were doing that? What if the church were encouraging freedom of religion for all people and all faiths and beliefs just as much as we do ourselves? Instead of trying to protect our communities. What if we we were doing that? I have to wonder, I think, if if that's what the church looked like to the world around us, I think maybe we might look more like having favor of all the people. There's a reason they had the favor of all the people. It had to do with how they were living. But these things that I just said, right? Protecting the vulnerable, acknowledging racism, and it's just, you know, and, and, and all the things. These are not things that we have historically been very good at. And yet, Jesus died for us. He loves us. He died to bring us to himself. We are often more devoted to protecting our time our status, our wealth, our comfort, those those become our devotions. And yet, Jesus knows this, and He still died to bring us to Himself. So what are we really devoted to? One of the other things it says here, the end of verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The world was changing because of their devotion. The first thing I want to point out, the effect of their devotion was their own changed lives. It was awe. It was wonder. It was gratitude. It was generosity. Uh, using everything they had for others, it was freedom. They were able to stand in freedom and, and just be free without worrying about themselves so much because they weren't on their own radar. And then their changed lives resulted in multiplication of the number of people who were being saved. That is an important phrase right there in that verse. We're being saved. Some of us, myself included, hear some of these things and we think, oh goodness, I, I, I kind of feel bad about myself. But it, it helps to know this. All of us here, if we're Americans and we've been here our whole lives, We have certainly been discipled, and I mean that word intentionally, trained, shaped, formed to be all about ourselves. Everything that is put in front of us, from the time you leave here until the time you come back next week, everything that is put in front of you will be about serve yourself. Have it your way right away. What kind of app do you want to download? What do you want to install? What do you want to see? What do you want to do? What do you want... Everything is on demand. I don't even have to watch commercials anymore because I don't like commercials, so I just subscribe to stuff without the ads, right? And then I watch exactly what I want the minute I want. I don't have to wait till Friday night at 9 p.m. like I did when I was a kid. Everything is exactly what I want, when I want, how I want. And if I don't like it, I'll go find something that's just a little bit different and it is what I want because we are trained and shaped and formed and discipled to be all about ourselves. We can't 
help it. It's not entirely our fault. You and I, all of us, are products of a very long manufacturing process whose outcome is astronomical, in fact, historical rates of anxiety, depression, obesity, opioid abuse. This is the result of a self-centered process. That is what we become. It's a fact. And we too are being saved from that. We are being ripped away from that by the grace of Jesus. He died knowing all of our issues. He died knowing one day each one of us, the preacher and the people sitting here with this sermon, would at times feel like, uh, you know, I don't know if I quite measure up. And Jesus looks at us and he says, of course you don't measure up. That's why you're being saved. You can't save yourself. You can't rescue yourself out of this broken culture of selfishness and and self-fulfillment and egotism and all. You can't rescue yourself from that. But Jesus says, I will and I'm going to. And I am. Because you can't save yourself. But I'll save you. And in the midst of that, as he's rescuing us away from all of this stuff, he looks to us and he says, he asks us a simple question. Now what will you be devoted to? That's how it's supposed to work. We don't change. We don't get better. We let Jesus save us and ask us the question, now that you are being saved, what will you center your life around? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for saving us because I can't save myself from all of my mess. I can't rescue my broken heart. I can't repair my insecurities. I can't make myself feel better. And I struggle to worship you and to be devoted to you the way I know you deserve, the way your grace for me and all of us uh, earns you devotion. And and my heart yet is still turned aside so easily. Would you meet us and draw all of our hearts closer toward you by your grace, because of your grace and in your grace, be at work shaping us, not according to the world around us, but according to the gospel and the spirit. It's in your name. Amen.